0: Scripture today comes from Psalm 22 and Psalm 23. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me from the words of my groaning? My God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel— In you our ancestors trusted, they trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not human, scorned by others and despised by the people. All who see me mock at me, they make mouths at me and they shake their heads. Commit your cause to the Lord, let him deliver, let him rescue the one in whom he delights. Yet it was you who took me from the womb. You kept me safe on my mother's breast. On you I was cast from my birth, and since my mother bore me, you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no help. I will tell of your name to my brothers and sisters. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All your offspring of Jacob, glorify him. Stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he did not despise or abhor the afflictions of the afflicted. He did not hide his face from me, but heard when I cried to him. From Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. The word of God for the people of God. So when I first got married, it was probably one of the most changing times in my life. Full of change. Two weeks after I got married, Shelby and I packed up our entire lives, everything we had, and we moved to Evanston, Illinois. Driving a big box truck. With our car and a trailer, it took us 12 hours to get from Nashville to Evanston. It was a long day. We started our seminary journey together there, and it was the best and most stressful time of my entire life. On one hand, I was attending seminary, meeting all kinds of amazing people, people I still call my friends to this day, being challenged in so many unexpected ways but I was also in an entirely new city, and it was cold. (laughs) I knew no one other than Shelby. I knew none of the restaurants to go to. I couldn't even get five minutes down the road without a GPS. It was all very overwhelming. And there were many times that I felt at the end of my rope, and I wanted to pack up and go home. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt at the end of your rope? Have you ever felt like the world will come crashing down around you? Have you ever felt like screaming to the heavens and asking why? I know I have. Have you ever been on a spiritual mountaintop? Have you ever been so enamored by the Holy Spirit that you felt like nothing could stop you? I know I have, whether that was in seminary when I was learning all kinds of things, whether that was on a mission trip, on a retreat, on a very, very excellent service on Sunday morning. The author of our psalm finds themselves in similar places, in this tension between being in a deep, dark valley and being high on the mountaintop. They feel that they are abandoned by God, but they also feel like God is close to them. Now, to kind of distract a little bit before we get into the meat of this passage, I'm a biblical scholar. That's my focus. I like to talk about the context around the psalm. And so I think it's important to talk about who the psalmist is. Who is the person writing these two psalms? So there's two, two schools of thought. Um, the first is probably what you're familiar with. The traditional approach is that David wrote these two psalms. They're attributed to King David. The other one is that some they were written after the time of David, and they were just attributed to him later. Now, whatever you think, whatever you believe, whatever you find, I tend to think David did write these psalms. It's important to think about where this psalmist was. If it's David, think about David's life. I think a great way to describe David's life is mountains and valleys. When we first are introduced to David, he is this young, youngest son of Jesse, and no one thinks he can do anything. And Samuel comes up and says, you're going to be the next king of Israel. He is... Lifted up as a hero. He beats Goliath when no one else would fight him. He's praised by the people. But he also fails in really big ways. And he's not always loved. In fact, there are times in his life where Saul is so unhappy with him, so threatened by him, that he wants to kill David, and David is forced to flee and hide. And I'm sure there were times there where David felt like God was forsaking him. Another important part of Psalm 22 is that it is later echoed by the prophet Elijah. Now, you might not be as familiar with Elijah as you are David. So, Elijah was a prophet in Israel sometime after David and his son Solomon had passed. And he's a prophet that gets into a lot of trouble, a lot of trouble. See, he goes after the worshippers of Baal, who were a big group of worshippers around the Israels. They had a lot of power. And this upsets the Queen Jezebel. She's mad, and she, like Saul and David, wants to kill Elijah. She doesn't like that he's working against Baal. And so, like David, Elijah has to hide, and he too feels as though God has abandoned him. And we see this echoed in our psalm today. The psalmist writes, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The psalmist is in pain. They are in trouble. They write that God is far from helping them. That they cry by day and God does not answer. They cannot find rest. Have you ever felt like that? So much that you're troubled that you can't sleep. They write that people mock them when they see them. And the trouble that the psalmist faced isn't that they're facing struggles. That's not their main problem. Their main problem that they have is that they feel as though God has abandoned him. But in both of the stories, that is not the end. God never truly abandons David or Elijah. God rather sustains them through their trouble. With Elijah, God gives Elijah food and allows him to rest from his weariness. Because God and Elijah both know that he has to go back and he has to face Jezebel. He knows that God will sustain him from there. And that the psalmist felt this moment of being forsaken, but they knew that it was not the end. Now, you're probably wondering why I read the 23rd Psalm. I have a theory. I have no proof, but it's my theory. Um... That these psalms are meant to be read together. That Psalm 23 is a direct response to Psalm 22. And you know, we know Psalm 23. Most of us could probably say it by heart. The Lord is my shepherd. I believe that they're meant to be read together because they demonstrate that a point of praising God both within the mountains and the valleys of our lives. In Psalm 22, we hear a cry of anguish and lament that hits to the very core of feeling abandoned. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the psalmist doesn't shy away from that feeling. Instead, the psalmist sits in it. They stay there. They linger there. They let themselves feel their pain. They don't push it down. They feel their pain to the fullest. And I think because the psalmist knows that they have to feel their pain if they're ever going to get to the point to say, The Lord is my shepherd. The psalmist allows themselves to be angry. And I think deep down they know that God can take it. That there's nothing that they will say in anger that will cause God to turn from him. There's also an interesting parallel between the beginning of these psalms in what they call God. In Hebrew, in Psalm 22, we get the words, which is the conjugation of the word Elohim. Now this is a kind of impersonal, Use of God's name. It's a term that can be even used to describe God or God with a lowercase g. It emphasizes God's power and God's sovereignty. In the 23rd Psalm, we get the personal name of God, the Lord because in the Hebrew Scriptures you would not say the name of God. It's often translated as Adonai or the Lord. I think this is important because I believe the psalmist is drawing a parallel. When speaking about being forsaken, the psalmist uses the name of God that places God above and removed from humanity. A name that emphasizes God's power and God's sovereignty. When the psalmist proclaims the deep truth of the Lord is my shepherd, the psalmist invokes the personal name of God, a name of God that places God among humanity, a name that emphasizes God's uniqueness and God's intimacy with humanity. And we see this intimacy reflected in the language of the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is anointing us with oil, lying us down in green pastures. Now, I don't know about you, but when I picture a green pasture, I think of the smell of fresh-cut grass, the sound of a flowing river, things that are peaceful, things that are restful. This is the God that the psalmist wants us to know. Now, I'm not, I don't think the psalmist is saying one version of God is better than the other. I think they contrast the idea for two reasons. I think there is a little bit of sometimes the psalmist is reminding us to not think of God like the other gods of the ancient world. Gods who are often fickle to humanity. Gods who turn their back on humanity. Who abandon humanity when they get offended. This is not the God that the psalmist wants us to know that we serve. The psalmist wants us to know that we serve a God who is present among us. But neither version of God is the full picture. Neither version tells us all of who God is, but together they paint a deeper and truer version of our God. Now, I'm not very old, I have not very lived very long, but I even I know that life is not always going to be a mountaintop. There will be valleys that we encounter, and there will be times that we want to shout to the heavens and proclaim that God has abandoned us. Perhaps we've never shaken the loneliness that came with the COVID lockdown. Perhaps we are falling on financial hardship. Perhaps there's a situation at work where we are undervalued and undercompensated and we can't take it anymore. Perhaps we've been suffering a terrible illness or watching a loved one do the same. Perhaps we have a strained relationship in our family and we don't know how to proceed Or simply, perhaps our favorite restaurant took away our favorite dish, and we don't. We just can't take it anymore. (laughs) When the world hits us, it can feel as though we are drowning, as if there is no way out. And we can't see the step in front of us, let alone the path leading us out. And just like in the psalm, it's okay to feel this way. It's natural. Our faith doesn't decrease because we have doubts or if we feel that God has abandoned us. And God never leaves us in that feeling of abandonment. God is both Elohim, the powerful, and Adonai, the intimate. Just like with the psalmist, God comes to us to remind us that God is our shepherd, that God is in control. That God will never leave us alone and that God will dwell with us forever. The good news that the psalmist wants us to know is that God sustains us from the valleys to the mountaintops. God is with us always. God is no less God when we are suffering than when we are on our mountaintop. And that when God comes to us, we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, I've just arrived at Good Shepherd, but in that time, I've learned a little bit of who we are as a church. I've come to hear the story of Good Shepherd and learn that Good Shepherd has had its fair share of mountains and valleys. I've listened and learned to our story. I have seen that we are a church that knows God is with us, a church who is willing to make hard decisions, That we can continue to do the ministry that God is calling us to. Good Shepherd is a church that knows that God sustains us, a church that has proved to the world that God can do miraculous things. The trees in these sanctuaries are proof of that, they are proof that God is not done with us. When I think about the future of Good Shepherd, I think about as we continue into this new time, into the new era of our church, I see mountains. I see mountaintops. But I also know that mountains don't come without the valleys. In those times, I hope we remember that God is sustaining us through those valleys as well. I hope we remember that it's okay to lament and to cry out to God when we are in the valleys. And it's also okay to shout For joy when we are on the mountaintop. And that God, Adonai, Elohim, is with us in all that we do. So as you go from here, remember to be a witness to what God can do. To be an example of the miraculous power of God. To be an example that while it might feel as though God has forsaken us, we remember that the Lord is our shepherd. We shall not want and we remember that in the mountains and the valleys, God sustains us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.
1: Have you ever noticed
2: that great things happen around table fellowship? Table fellowship happens when we're in the mountains or in the valleys, doesn't it? We have those mountain times where we have celebrations and we've always got food, especially if we're a Methodist. There's always good food. And... And even when we're in our lowest valleys, we have to be sustained by the food. And if we notice that uh, in our scripture this morning, the 23rd Psalm, the Lord prepares a table for the, the the, the psalmist in the presence of their enemies. And we have a table prepared for us this morning. We have a table that is given to us by God. It is, it is a table that represents the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and our communion with our Creator. It gives us the opportunity, whether we're in a mountain or a valley of our life, to come and have table fellowship with God. And I invite you this morning to be a part of that. We all come to the table sometimes and we think, well, I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough to be there. I've done this or I've done that. But what we know... Is that we are forgiven, we are a forgiven people, and that God is here waiting for us. So let's take a moment of silence this morning to confess to God those things which are on our heart that we feel are keeping us from the table. Lord, we give you thanks this morning for, for inviting us to your feast. For inviting us to come to a table, whether we're in a mountain or we're in a valley, but where we're coming to a table where we know you are there, Lord, we we know that we are a, a, are a broken people, that we are our humanity causes us not to be perfect, but Lord, we know that you have you have forgiven us and that you welcome us just as we are. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. When Jesus gathered at the table with his friends on that night, he, um, he, he changed things up a little bit. And we, he, he, there was this ritual that everybody was expecting and Jesus changed it up. Jesus changes us when Jesus enters our lives. And on that night, it came time to, to break the bread and he, he took that bread and he broke that bread and he gave it to the disciples and those around the table and he said, Take, eat, This is my body which is broken for you. Do this every time you eat it in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, the real change came. And he said to his disciples, This cup represents a new covenant. It represents a new relationship between you and I. He blessed the cup. He gave it to his disciples and he said, Drink of this. All of you, every time you drink it, remember that this is the symbol of the new covenant which I am making with you. And every time you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. Let us pray. Holy and awesome God, we give you thanks this day. We ask You to pour out Your Spirit on us here. Pour out Your Spirit so that we may feel Your presence, that we may know Your peace. Pour out Your Spirit on these ordinary elements of bread and juice that they may become Your presence within us. And Lord, we just ask that as we partake of this sacrament, that we be filled with You so that we may be For the world, your representative. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Those who are assisting me this morning will come forward. All are invited to this feast that God has prepared for us, whether you're United Methodist, a member of this congregation or not. This is not God. This is not the Methodist table. This is not Good Shepherd's table. But this is God's table. We, are, uh, we do have gluten-free options and single-serve um, elements. If you're not comfortable with intention, but they will break off a piece of bread, you will dip it in your cup, and come meet Christ at the table. How high would I climb
1: mountains if the mountains were where you hide? Oh, how